Our Lord speaks to us this morning through the, through the epistle text for today of Philippians chapter 4, where it says, To rejoice in the Lord always, and let your gentleness be known to all people. In Christ Jesus, dear fellow, redeemed. It had to come to this, didn't it? I remember, I think it was in 1964, when I was in sixth grade, I had what I found out later was a Yale-educated teacher who brought to my attention for the first time existentialism. Big, huge ism word, isn't it? Existential. What exists for me is real. What doesn't exist for me is not real. And he gave the classic example that if a tree fell in a forest and there was no one there to see it or hear it, well, did it re- was there really a tree that fell in the forest? Did it exist? If it didn't exist for me. That really bothered me. I remember thinking about that and thinking, well, yeah, it did. Just because I wasn't there doesn't mean it didn't exist. I didn't think until later that the reason I was thinking the way I was is because I was taught by the Holy Spirit not to see things through just my lens, but through the lens of God, who is everywhere, knows all things, and sees every. Even the sparrows don't fall to the ground without his knowledge. Every hair of your head, which lies in the drain this morning, That wouldn't happen. He knows exactly how many are there and how many are not. And so why wouldn't he know about the tree that fell in the forest? At that time, I think we were all good Lutheran or in our community, Catholic children. So we kind of looked at him strangely like, I don't think so. But now I'm seeing where this leads. We're now coming to the trajectory of that kind of philosophy where what exists for me is real, and if I don't think it's real, it isn't real. I am basically God. I will call what's real, and I will call what's not real. I mean, you can experience it in the woke religion. You can experience it because you failed to address someone in their proper pronoun. He, she, it, they or a combination of the above, right? You can feel it because you have received something which someone did not receive, and you're to be blamed because you have the wrong percentage of melanin in your skin. You can... You might even just make a a, a simple mistake. Maybe you forgot to give, maybe you failed to give the right change to somebody. And because you're not the right religion, you don't come from the right country, or you happen to be in a different class, you're to blame. That really is the extension of existentialism. If it exists for me, I can make up my own religion, I can make the rules, and you might not know the rules, but I'm going to make sure that you are punished without any forbearance and that your life is just as cheerless as mine is. Really, this whole religion began in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? Wasn't it God who made us in his image 
so that everything God said and did warmed our hearts. The words, well done by God, or yes, whatever you name the animals, that will be its name. I agree with you. You did a good job, was what we lived for. We lived in God and for God, and we had our being in him, and we found our fulfillment in him until we decided to make our own rules and live by the laws of existentialism. And we found out that there was no room in our life for even that deity. Luther has a term for it in Latin, which I think is a useful term. Once man falls from grace, once he falls from the image of God into his own religion, everything in his life is incurvatus in se. You are curved into yourself. You see nothing beyond yourself. No one shall violate the rules of such an eminence as myself, such a deity as myself. And here go my rules. You don't know them, but I'm going to tell you them, starting now. No gentleness, no forbearance, no joy, just obey or else. You ever feel that way when you talk to someone who's kind of taken that, that uh, turn in life? Boy, they're going to play hardball with me. They don't have God in their conversation at all. And I'm used to being evangelical. I'm used to being gentle. I'm used to being forgiving. They make it awfully hard. So Adam, when God gave him all the gifts of the garden, satisfying activity that made Adam say at first, yes, I love doing what you want me to do in the garden, God, by keeping it and taking care of it and naming the animals and taking care of them, to no, I think I'll just sit at home and wait for my check to come in. Right? Or God gives Adam the opportunity to worship by going to the tree that, of life and eating as much as they wish from it and from staying away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No, God, I'll eat from any tree I please. And in fact, because you don't want me to eat from that tree, I will make the law that I shall eat from that tree from now on. And you say I will die, I won't die. It's really cosmic mutiny. It's really rebellion to the nth degree. You give me marriage, I live outside of marriage. And by the way, you see how the trajectory of that in the 60s has led to today? Where you made us male and female, I'll be one of the 82 other sexes that I decide to be. I don't know how you take two and multiply it into 82, but okay. Uh, it, it's insane, and yet this is the kind of existentialism, this is the trajectory we're seeing at the end that we saw in the 60s as something where we would do what we wanted within our own little area as a, as, as a nation and as a world. But it's the fallen nature of man. St. Uh, James, in his first chapter of his epistle, says that, really, the woke religion is our natural religion. We don't have to point outside of 
living waters and say, look at what those people are doing, we ought to realize how by nature we are incurvatus in ze, turned into ourselves, right? Because whenever we court sin, whenever we court temptation, we're doing the very same thing. St. James says it's a gestational process. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. And when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. The woke religion is our natural religion. That's why it's so hard to fight against it. It's part of us by nature until, by the grace of God, by the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, he brought us into his kingdom and opened our hearts once again to see that he gave us the image of God through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and made us for the first time in our life capable of living for him, of finding joy in him, of finding in him the place we live and move and have our being. And so our text gives us a beautiful example of the way a Christian feels when you and I have been redeemed by Christ and received his body and blood and rejoice in him. The text says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Joy is the theme of this letter to the Philippians. He says it about three or four times. I rejoice, do you rejoice? Now, the Philippian congregation was north of Greece in Macedonia. It was a Roman colony. Paul, at this time, was in prison in a dark, damp, unlit prison in Rome, 460 miles away as, as the crow flies. He's telling the congregation of free citizens of Rome, I rejoice. Do you rejoice? If I can rejoice in this dungeon, facing the end of my life, and say that in every circumstance I should rejoice at all times and in all places, I should rejoice, you should be able to too, because you have the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And I will say it again, rejoice, like I can't say it enough. You have, you have the Savior God who gives you eternity in heaven. You will rise again on the last day, body and soul reunited to live before him the way Adam originally lived in the garden. We have every reason to rejoice. Now in our text, just a couple of verses before, he was alluding to a problem in the congregation, a problem every congregation has had at one time or another. In this case, it was two women, Euodia and Syntyche, who apparently either had an argument with each other that had become so large that it upset the congregation and gave them lots of anxiety, made the people around the congregation wonder if this Christianity was really worth it, even made it across the Mediterranean Sea to Rome in a letter to Paul. And he tells us in our text, he tells us in the words just before our text, that he wants the two of them, he says, Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, 
my joy and my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. You can rejoice because the two of you are in the Lord. You are wrapped in the hug of Jesus who forgave your sins and really made whatever these two women had between them, not even secondary or tertiary, made it insignificant compared to the glory which has been given to both of them and to your whole congregation. I want you to rejoice. And then he goes on and says, let your gentleness, let your forbearance be known to everyone. In other words, one woman may have owed the other woman something because of something she did. Let it go. In the judgment, is it going to matter? In the woke religion in which we were born, you can't let it go. Even, they even excommunicate their own. And there's no repentance, no coming back into the flock. But for we who have been washed in Christ's blood and washed in the waters of baptism, we have the ability to say, whatever you owe me is insignificant compared to what I owe the Heavenly Father and he's paid for through the blood of his Son. I can rejoice. I can use forbearance. I don't need to take the law and wring it until the pips squeak. Then he goes on to say, don't worry about anything. Living in the Lord is the antidote for anxiety, for living a life always worried about what's going to happen because the world around us and the devil is assaulting us continually with his temptations. If God gave his greatest treasure, Jesus Christ, do you not think that he will also give you all you need to eat and drink and wear and a roof over your head and a place to worship him among other Christians, no matter whether it's a church or whether it's a home. He's going to take care of the little things if he paid for the big things. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. There is something you Christians can do. I've given you grace, I've given you forgiveness, but I want you to pray. Pray for each other. Syntyche, I want you to pray for Euodia. Euodia for Syntyche. Members of the congregation, for me in prison, I, as I pray for you and rejoice in you, even though you have problems in your congregation, my forbearance says they're still the sons and daughters of the king. They're still forgiven by Christ. There's no room for dissent because in Christ's religion, no one is written off for eternity. And then finally, he comes with that last beautiful line, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You know, when you're in curvatus in Zay, when you're thinking about yourself and what everyone owes you, such an eminence as you are, you can't have peace. You always have to worry that someone else might do you one better. But when you're in Christ, in the hug of his forgiveness and his love, you can say, you know, the peace of Christ 
settles all these matters. And it's peace that surpasses the peace that I can temporarily give as a detente, as a laying down of arms temporarily, that lets me allow them to continue as a Christian and know that they're forgiven by Christ as well. All this is ours because of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why on this Rejoice Sunday, we can say with St. Paul, Rejoice! And again, I will say it. I can't stop saying it. You have every reason to rejoice because of the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.